Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the National Bank of Canada's first quarter results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Linda Boulanger, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Ms. Boulanger. Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to National Bank's first quarter presentation. Presenting this afternoon are Louis Vachon, President and CEO, Bill Bonnell, Chief Risk Officer, and Giselin Parent. Chief Financial Officer. Following our presentation, we will open the call for questions. Also joining us for the Q&A session are Laurent Ferreira, Chief Operating Officer of the bank since February 1st, Stéphane Achard and Lucie Blanchet, co-heads of PNC Banking, Martin Gagnon, Head of Wealth Management, Denis Giroir, Head of Financial Markets, and Jean Dagenet, Senior VP Finance. Before we begin, I refer you to slide two of our presentation, providing National Bank's caution regarding forward-looking statements. With that, let me now turn the call over to Louis Vachon. Merci, Linda, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Today, the bank reported strong first-quarter results with a pre-tax pre-provision earnings up 18% from last year. I am very satisfied with our performance, which was driven by excellent momentum in all our business lines. We generated strong organic growth and an industry-leading ROE while maintaining high capital levels and prudent reserves. This speaks to our franchise ability to adapt and the sound diversification of our earnings. While uncertainty remains on the exact path and timing of a full recovery, the economy is adapting to a new reality and creating an environment conducive to revenue growth. With more people working from home, coupled with historically low interest rates, we continue to see significant pent-up demand in the housing market. Furthermore, consumers are spending less, saving more, and investing more. Finally, markets are very strong, stimulated by monetary policies and new technological and financial innovations. Looking at our home province, we remain optimistic about the economic recovery. The provincial government is in a solid fiscal position. Quebec went into the lockdown with the lowest unemployment rate in Canada, and the Quebec consumer has lower indebtedness and higher savings than the Canadian average. Many sectors of the economy have have adapted, so we expect the negative impacts of the current lockdown to, to be significantly more contained than last spring. Following a contraction of 5.2% in 2020, we expect the Quebec economy to rebound by close to 4% in 2021. On credit, we are confident in the quality of our well-diversified loan book and our strong risk management framework. While risks, some risks remain in the short term, we are prudently provisioned with significant reserves of $1.4 billion, almost double what we had a year ago. Bill will provide further details. In terms of capital deployment, our strategy remains unchanged. 
our number one priority is to maintain strong capital ratios, allowing us to support our clients and generate strong asset growth. We will also look at increasing dividends and share buybacks once restrictions are lifted. Turning now to the performance of our segments for the first quarter. PNC delivered a solid performance with pre-tax pre-provision earnings up 3% on a year-over-year basis. Our franchise experienced strong growth on both sides of the balance sheet in both retail and commercial. The strategic choices and the investments we have made in, over time in PNC and our focus on good execution are producing tangible results. Residential mortgages continue to display particularly strong momentum with volumes up 8% year-over-year and 3% quarter-over-quarter. This is more than upsetting muted client activity in the context of government support and economic restrictions. In commercial banking, we are experiencing good momentum in both loan and ancillary revenues. As we look ahead, we expect the underlying trends to persist for both businesses. More than ever, we are committed to our advice-first strategy. The current context remains conducive to further our relationships with personalization, digitization, and the collaboration between our distribution networks. Wealth management pre-tax pre-provision earnings are up 19% on a year-over-year basis, fueled by strong inflows, favorable markets, and elevated transaction levels. Furthermore, recent investments in our direct brokerage business are paying off as we are experiencing top-tier growth on several fronts, including in the number of trades, new accounts, and revenues. We are very pleased with the strategic positioning of our wealth business. Financial markets continue to perform very well in Q1. We pre-tax pre-provision earnings up 35% on a year-over-year basis. Sustained investments in talent, technology, and products over the years are bearing fruit. All our businesses were well-positioned to take advantage of favorable market conditions and delivered strong revenue growth. The consistency of our performance demonstrates the agility and the resiliency of our franchise. For the time being, we continue to see solid momentum for the business as a whole. Our international segment also delivered a very solid quarter. Credigy's revenues were up 58% from last year, driven by solid portfolio performance and a $26 million gain on an opportunistic sell of one portfolio. For 2021, Credigy has a solid pipeline and the outlook is very positive. ABA's bank net income was up 39% year over year, driven by strong growth in loans and deposits. We are pleased to announce that ABA was named Best Digital Bank in Cambodia of 2020 by Euromoney, recognizing the excellence of ABA's digital platform for the second year in a row. Our international segment is well-positioned to deliver double-digit earnings growth again this year. To wrap up, we had a very strong start to the year, and our momentum from Q1 is carrying over into Q2. Activity in financial markets and wealth management continue to benefit from supportive market conditions. We are seeing very good momentum in real estate and merger and acquisition, and our international businesses are positioned 
to, to continue to deliver strong growth and returns. Fiscal and monetary policies remain very favorable for financial activity and should ensure a pickup in economic activity later in 2021 and 2022. Based on what we are seeing today, and should those trends continue, revenue growth should remain quite positive in the foreseeable future. Given our performance in Q1 and the current outlook, we are well positioned to achieve mid to high single digit pre-tax pre-provision earnings growth for fiscal 2021, and we continue to work towards achieving positive operating leverage over the same period. As the economy adapts and recovers, I am confident that we have the right team, culture, and strategies in place to generate revenue growth and deliver strong returns for our shareholders. Before I turn over the call over to Bill, I would like to say a few words on Laurent Ferreira's recent appointment as CEO of the bank. Laurent is an outstanding leader with a strong track record of driving performance. A 23-year bank veteran, Laurent has been at the heart of building our differentiated financial markets franchise and instrumental in the successful executions of the bank's transformation over the past few years. In his new role, he will be providing fresh perspective and strategic leadership to our business segments and operations. So, from the whole team, I would like to congratulate Lara once again on this well-deserved appointment. With that, I will now turn the call over to Bill. Merci, Louis, and good afternoon, everyone. I'll begin my remarks on slide seven. Total provision for credit losses were $81 million, or 19 basis points in the first quarter, reflecting ongoing strong performance across our loan portfolios and our resilient business mix. Provisions on impaired loans declined to $75 million, or 17 basis points, five basis points lower than last quarter. The primary driver of the decline was a cyclical low level of provisions in retail portfolios. Within the retail portfolios, Rezl benefited from a strong housing market and saw further improvements in delinquencies. In credit cards, early stage delinquencies saw a moderate increase from last quarter, but remained well below pre-pandemic levels. Commercial and corporate provisions were stable quarter over quarter, and performance remained very strong in our international segment. Provisions on performing loans also declined in the quarter to $6 million, or two basis points. There was a small reversal in retail provisions reflecting the ongoing strong performance in Rezl and the update to our macroeconomic scenarios. Strong loan growth in the IFRS 9 updates drove the performing provisions in our non-retail and international portfolios. Looking ahead, we maintain our total PCL target range of 25 to 35 basis points for the full fiscal year of 2021. Given the good performance we're seeing in the portfolios, we expect to end up closer to the bottom end of that range. As we mentioned last quarter, this target range did not assume a material reversal from performing allowances due to significant improvements in macro scenarios. Since I expect that you may have questions about the potential timing of reversals, I'll share with you our current thinking on both performing allowances and on what may be ahead for impaired provisions. First, Performing allowances should be expected to decline over time due, both to, um, due to both migration and when there are improvements in our forward-looking macro scenarios. We recognize that in recent months, there has been encouraging progress regarding vaccines and success in measures to combat the spread of the virus. 
In addition, borrowers have access capital from receptive capital markets and from ongoing support programs. However, we also recognize that large parts of the country are still subject to stringent COVID restrictions and significant uncertainty remains in the path of the recovery. We felt it was appropriate to maintain our prudent level of performing allowances given these uncertainties, and we will continue to reassess the situation each quarter. Regarding impaired provisions, we continue to believe that they will increase over time. Retail impaired provisions should rise from these very low levels, particularly in credit cards when utilization rates increase and fiscal support is reduced. Non-retail impaireds will likely be concentrated in the COVID-impacted sectors and could be lumpy from quarter to quarter. However, the timeline for increases in impaireds may stretch out longer than we initially thought and could extend past the second half of this year. Also, we think that the size of cumulative losses over this period may be lower than what we initially thought, particularly given our underweight exposure in cards and our limited exposure in COVID-impacted sectors. On slide eight, we provide details of our allowances for credit losses. In the first quarter, total ACLs increased slightly to almost $1.4 billion, up 76% from last year. Non-performing allowances increased to $357 million and now represents 47% of gross impaired loans. Performing allowances were stable at just over $1 billion. As you can see on slide nine, performing allowances comfortably cover three times our last 12 months impaired PCLs and total allowances cover 5.9 times the last 12 months net charge-offs. We remain very comfortable with the prudent level of our allowances that we built up over the past year. Turning to slide 10, gross impaired loans decreased across all segments to $757 million or 45 basis points. New formations were concentrated in commercial due primarily to two accounts in the oil and gas production sector. This sector was hard hit during 2020, but has seen significant improvements in energy prices and capital markets activities this year. Retail formations declined meaningfully, primarily due to strong performance in the resale portfolio, and most other sectors had net negative formations in the quarter. Turning to slide 11, the distribution of our resale portfolio remains stable with 54% of the portfolio located in Quebec and 37% of the portfolio being insured. Uninsured mortgages in HELOC for condos represent 7.6% of the total portfolio and have an average LTV of 59%. In the appendices, you'll find additional information on the loan portfolios and market risks. On that, I'll turn it over to Gislain. Thank you, Bill, and good afternoon, everyone. Turning to page 13. The bank delivered a strong performance in the first quarter, further highlighting the sound diversification of our business mix with revenues up 13% year-over-year and a solid operating leverage of 4%, the bank delivered strong pre-tax pre-provision growth of 18%. As always, we maintain our disciplined approach to cost management. We attain an efficiency ratio of 51.7% in the first quarter, our best showing on record. Higher expenses compared to last year reflect higher variable compensation, giving strong revenue growth larger business volumes, and higher investments in brand and technology. While uncertainty remains, we are seeing positive momentum continuing into Q2 in all of our businesses. 
we are committed to achieving good revenue growth and are implementing initiatives to support this objective. Our investments are primarily focused on providing our clients with the best experience, supporting new business initiatives, and simplifying our systems and processes. As Louis mentioned earlier, given our performance in the first quarter and the momentum we are seeing, we believe we can deliver mid to high single-digit pre-tax pre-provision growth for fiscal 2021 and potentially achieve positive operating leverage over the same period. Now turning to page 14 on capital. We ended the first quarter with a strong CT1 ratio of 11.9%, up 12 basis points from last quarter. During the quarter, we delivered an excellent net income generation of 51 basis points, resulting from strong performance in all business segments. We reinvested our excellent net income generation into organic uh, client-driven growth, risk-weighted asset expansion of 41 basis points, essentially came from strong organic growth in our businesses. The main drivers included higher volumes in commercial franchise, continued growth in financial markets, including increased authorization in corporate banking and client activity in global markets, as well as loan growth at ABA Bank. The impact from credit migration was limited this quarter, continued improvement from retail credit scores, were offset by re-rating of wholesale borrowers in COVID-impacted industries, including oil and gas. For fiscal 2021, the regulatory scaler for ECL relief decreased from 70% to 50%. The change subtracted seven basis points from our CD1 ratio in the first quarter. Looking forward, we expect our CD1 ratio to continue to creep higher as our strong internal capital generation supports both good organic business growth and the ability to return capital to shareholders when restrictions are eventually lifted. In addition, we are very confident that our strong capital levels, combined with our prudent level of credit reserves, provide good resiliency in these uncertain times. Now turning to page 15. On liquidity, our LCR continues to be strong at 154%, and we are introducing our net stable funding ratio at 124%. In addition, our total capital ratio remains stable at 16% at the end of the first quarter. In conclusion, the bank had a strong start to the year with solid organic growth, high capital levels, and industry-leading ROE. With a strong balance sheet, significant reserves, and diversified revenue growth levers, our franchise is well positioned to continue generating attractive growth through fiscal 2021. With that, I'll turn the call back to the operator for the Q&A. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. 
If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. We thank you for your patience. Our first question is from Sorab Mobahedi from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Laurent, congratulations on your appointment. Louis, question for you. Uh, over the recent quarters, certainly pre-pandemic and then throughout the pandemic, I think you have told us that you have been incredibly selective in growth pre-pandemic. And I think as recently as the last couple of quarters, you'd indicated that you are aggressively in pursuit of top-line growth. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to get a feel for is if you had to, on a scale of 1 to 10, give us a feel for how much of your aspired growth is actually being realized right now as far as still on the come, uh, that would be helpful. Let me know if that actually makes sense, the question. I'm just trying to get a sense for whether or not what we're seeing here this quarter is as good as it gets, or do you expect uh, this is just the beginning? Um, thanks for the question, Sarabia. Yeah, and and it, 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 the question did make sense. A uh, uh, couple things. One, you and I have discussed that in the past. Um, so um, I think we've been uh, selective in, uh, in the areas where we want to grow. This is not 2009, this is not 2010, when we had a risk-on strategy in almost uh, every single business line and in every single asset classes. Uh, you need, uh, in 2021 and 2022, I think you'll need to be much more selective in terms of risk allocation than we were in, uh, in 2009, 2010, because the, the financial crisis of 08 had created, uh, you know, a lot of forced liquidations and that resulted in very attractive risk returns uh, opportunities right across the different business lines. The massive amount of quantitative easing uh, and government support uh, have shielded, I think, the markets from, from uh, the same level of uh, forced liquidation that we saw in 08 or 09. And it's not just in capital markets. It's the same thing also in the lending market. So we are seeing opportunities, um, and we're taking advantage of those opportunities, but we remain still pretty – we need to, be retained, to remain selective in, in this market. So when we say we can – you know, we see growth uh, for opportunity uh, – for opportunities for growth, we do see them. Um, and I think it's uh, – I don't think it's the, the end of, uh, of the cycle. I think a good scenario, uh, which is, I think, right now a probable scenario, Sorab, is that, uh, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, we could see a period of time where, because of very active and very expansionary monetary and fiscal policy, we could see financial activity, namely the activity related to financial markets, wealth management, and real estate remain quite active um, for a period of time. And at the same time, eventually, the economy will make, you know, the, the GDP level will have completely recovered from the COVID crisis, and then we'll see a real pickup in economic activity 
which should benefit uh, credit cards, small business loans, and other type of activity. And if we have that sweet spot of high level of financial activity combined with an economic recovery, I think it should be a very good environment to generate rev, you know, revenue growth. That being said, as I said, there's some distortions right now in the market caused by quantitative easing. And uh, there's also some pockets of irrational exuberance. And so you do need to navigate from a risk management perspective. I think Bill and his team and uh, the business lines will remain very, very uh, busy. So, um, you know, in short, I think uh, this is not, I don't think that Q1 was a fluke. I certainly hope not. I don't think so. Uh, I think we were quite clear in our opening remarks that all the favorable trends that we observed in Q1 are still present with us at Q2. And um, so for us going forward, I think we'll, you know, there'll be, uh, you know, we'll continue to grow, to grow the business, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye open on, on risk management, that's for sure. Did I answer your question, Sarah? I think you did. And just for crystal clarity, what you did in, in this quarter, what you're talking about, for example, for the balance of year when Gislaine is talking about mid-single-digit pre-tax pre-provision growth and the like, this is all still within the context of being prudent on the businesses that you're pursuing or basically, as you put it, not being in a risk-on environment. Like, I, I, in other words, once we get into a bit of a risk-on environment, that would be, I guess, additional fuel. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, I think it's prudent. Uh, as you know, when we give guidance, we like to be prudent. Um, and I think the way we manage risk also historically has been prudent. So I think your, your, your assessment is the correct one. I just hope one of these days, Louis, when you have results like this, you don't say you're satisfied, you say you're ecstatic. Yeah, we're, we're bankers, uh, so rabbits. You know, we're, ecstasy is not a, it's a, <laughs> we need to be careful about that. <laughs> anyway, thank you. <laughs> thank you. The following question is from Manny Groman from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon, and uh, I'll start off also by congratulating uh, Laurent. The question is, um, I think for Bill, you, you talked about the timeline on the evolution of impairments being uh, delayed, and just wondering if you could uh, go into more detail what's driving that uh, delay uh, in your mind. Thanks for the question, Manny. Um, yeah, I think the comments I made were, were just giving an indication that uh, what's changed from last quarter to this quarter, and uh, I think last quarter we, we spoke about uh, expectations for impaired to gradually grow through the year, and probably Q3, Q4 would see a peak. Um, certainly the performance this quarter uh, is, is in, in many of the, uh, the portfolios were better than last quarter. You saw impairments down, you saw... And the, uh, we weren't surprised by the performing allowances being down, but just given the, uh, the, the slower start to the increase, um, uh, it's just natural thinking that it could be delayed. We also made a comment that it's less certain about the size. So the, the handoff, as Louis mentioned, from financial activity to economic activity, you know, that uh, nothing is certain in this world. And during a pandemic, uncertainties are higher, but it looks like the the, uh, there's a chance that the overall uh, cumulative losses 
may end up being lower in this cycle than we would have thought uh, three or six months ago. Does that answer your question, Manny? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that that's what I was getting at in terms of, you know, when we see the, the delay that we're seeing now, I guess a prudent way to look at it is to say, okay, let's let's be careful and, and, and think it's still coming. But the question is really, could we just have been totally wrong in this front and, and given all the government support and, and all the all the uh, things that we're seeing uh, uh, on the ground, could it just be that the kind of impairments that uh, that basically we we will not see the kind of impairments that, that we thought we would see? Um, so just uh, kind of curious on, on, on that uh, um, uh, idea that, that this could just be the, the kind of allowances that you have just could be significantly over uh, and above what will actually be needed when all is said and done. Well, the, uh, I think on your last point, say that we're, we're very, very comfortable with our performing allowances. On the first point, I think that's what we mean when we say there are uncertainties. It's hard. We, we haven't been through this. I, certainly, I haven't been through a global pandemic before and to see what the other side of it looks like. Um, so uh, we call it uncertainty, and uh, I would agree it's, it's you know, the... Uh, what it'll end up uh, um, at is likely to be different than what we would have thought three, six months ago. And just on that point, in terms of, the, you know, the, everyone's focused on the vaccination rates, how, how big a, a risk factor is that in, in your mind, the fact that Canada seems to be behind the curve uh, relative to the U.S. especially? Is, is this just a matter of, of timing or could it be a more significant risk as we move through the year? Listen, I, I think that the um, if, we, if we put ourselves back uh, a, a couple of quarters, we didn't know if a vaccine would come. We didn't know whether it would be uh, effective. Certainly, there's been lots of, of good news on that and what we know now. Um, it, it, it was obvious from the beginning that it's a pretty massive exercise to source and to distribute uh, the vaccine. So there were always going to be you know, a, a range of uncertainty around that. I think that uh, it's what we've seen so far has been positive in terms of the the, the, the ability to uh, combat the spread of the virus and the optimism that uh, there is a, an end uh, to the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel. And then, Louis, have any other comments? No. Thanks, Thanks Manny. Thank you. A following question is from uh, Paul Olden from CIBC. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. So, Louis, on the last conference call, you highlighted a number of reasons why we should be positive on uh, on commercial loan growth, and it looks like, sure enough, you delivered some pretty good commercial loan growth uh, this quarter. So, one, can you comment on some of the drivers behind the loan growth within the quarter, and then maybe an updated view for uh, for fiscal 2021 as well? Paul, I'll let uh, my colleague uh, uh, Stéphane Achard answer. And also, we, we had a little bit of difficulty hearing you, Paul. So just that if I, we, we heard your question, but the, the, the volume was a little low. Stéphane? So, Paul, although um, uh, the, the growth was quite diversified over the last quarter, and if, uh, if you look at the setback, you'll see that, you know, there's been growth in utilities, uh, obviously real estate. We took opportunities, and uh, Bill and Louis have mentioned it in their uh, in their speeches, we took opportunity of the um, 
the residential market and the insured portion of our, of our book has grown substantially, but also on the education and healthcare. Our specialties are doing well. So if we look at what we call national accounts, family-owned, large businesses, uh, quite a bit of activity there, good growth, um, and we launched a new initiative last year in Toronto, which is doing really well as well. Um, specialties outside of Quebec, an important part of the growth was actually outside of the of the province. So that's looking good. And if we project ourselves in the future, you know, we we expect growth in volumes to continue uh, rising up, and by the end of the year, probably revert back to uh, more historical level levels. But we still have. Plenty of opportunities by way of uh, working capital utilization, which is minimal right now in, in corporates around the country and businesses. So he, uh, lines of credits will be fully used uh, or returned back to the historical levels, which is more around 36, 37% of utilization on lines of credit. Right now we stand between 29 and 30%. So plenty of, of uh, growth coming from there, we expect. But obviously that will depend on, on, on the progression of the um, you know, resumptions of the business uh, business cycles. That's helpful. Thanks for that. Thank you. Our following question is from Nigel D'Souza from Veritas Investments Research. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Good, good afternoon. I, I want to touch on trading net interest uh, income, and I noticed that still running at a fairly uh, healthy level for you. And I was wondering if you could touch on um, how the recent volatility we're seeing in yields uh, might impact trading NII going forward and where you see that moving in the short term. Uh, it's Laurent. Uh, thank you for your question. Um, <clears throat> obviously, we, we've seen elevated uh, volumes, transactions over the quarter. Uh, and you're right, volatility was, I would say, at a healthy level, but uh, obviously nothing like uh, last uh, Q2 of last year. Um, and we expect, actually, for this year, uh, volatility to remain at a healthy level. Um, so overall, um, of course, we benefited from, from higher volumes in, in Q1, a trend that we saw in Q4 of 2020, and it continued throughout Q1. Um, so, you know, we don't control uh, volumes and volatility, um, but, uh, you know, I feel very confident in our ability to adjust quickly to shifting market conditions. Um, you know, the, the, I think we've proven in the past that the franchise is uh, very agile. So, um, yeah, you could see revenue, trading revenues go down, but it not a concern. So that's really helpful. And I had another quick question on uh, employees in Canadian banking. I noticed in this quarter they, there was a marginal decline there quarter over quarter. So I wonder if you could speak to what, what drove that decline in uh, full-time employees and if you think that's going to stabilize here or do you, do you see yourself hiring more people as uh, the economy reopens? We're, uh, Nigel Slu, we, we remain, uh, as I said, we, we remain very disciplined in terms of uh, cost management and uh, headcount management. Uh, especially, you know, we were certainly very prudent in Q1 because we, uh, there were more uncertainty in terms of vaccination and the path of the recovery and, and uh, the old sanitary uh, situation. So, uh, 
you know, over time, I think we'll remain disciplined, but at, uh, I think you should expect that number to go back up slowly as, uh, as we move, uh, you know, back into economic activity. Uh, we know we, we should expect that we'll need, a, you know, a bit more people. And that's really helpful. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Our following question is from Doug Young from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Uh, starting just with all bank NIMS, and if I exclude trading, uh, for national it was up about two basis points year over year based on my numbers. That's, I mean, it's the only bank this quarter that we've seen so far where there's been an increase. And so just curious if you could talk a bit about what might have driven that. I would assume it's, it's the expansion, you know, in the growth in credit G and ABA. And then if you can talk a bit, maybe if you can provide any color in terms of an outlook for that, that would be helpful. Uh, Jean, you want to give it a try? Uh, Jean is shuffling through his papers right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yes, you had uh, been, well, you had the slight decline uh, sequentially for PNC, which only one basis points, but you had also improvement due to volume uh, into uh, wealth management, and uh, uh, a lot more also in in financial markets. So the margin is better in financial markets than it was in Q4. Uh, which we see also in ABA. So okay. improved margin in ABA financial market and more revenue uh, net interest income in uh, wealth management. Any any outlook or maybe you can talk about outlooks for, for NIMS within like in Canada, you know, it looked like it's been stable sequentially. Um, you know, if there's an outlook for NIMS within, you know, USSFNI, any color within wealth management, if that would be helpful. Well, it's more difficult to see in those kind of business. We do expect a what one to two basis points lower NIM in PNC banking, but for the rest, it is uh, more volatile. That's why we follow mainly PNC banking NIMs. Okay. Uh, Doug, it's Credit G is a bit volatile because of the structured portfolios. I think the trends, though, for ABA remain very positive at all levels, NIMs and volume. Okay, and then just a clarification, like the, the $26 million gain, that came through non-interest income, I assume, and that's an after-tax? $26 million is an after-tax number? $26 million is pre-tax. It is in the other income of Credit G, to which you have um, some variable compensation of about $4 million, so for a net of 22, and net of tax, it's $18 million, or $0.05 cents a share. Okay. And then just last, Bill, you know, performing loan, PCL was $6 million. I assume the FLI improved. I didn't have a chance to go through it all, but the FLI would have improved. The outlook seems to have improved. Can you talk about what the offsets were? And was this more of a weighting towards your pessimistic scenario? Like, what offset um, the amount that would have otherwise been released? And, Louis, the goal, I think last quarter you said that the goal was not to necessarily release them. You'd want to grow into them. Is that still the kind of viewpoint? Thanks, Doug. I'll start off. Um, so in terms of offsets, certainly uh, loan growth is one that generates uh, the performing PCLs. You'll notice that in the, in the appendix and the disclosures on our, our macro scenarios, the baseline did improve uh, in somewhat in a few of the factors. Um, but the pessimistic, the shape of the pessimistic was a little different. Uh, you'll see that on the, on the slide uh, at the back of the deck. And that had uh, that had uh, an impact as well on the on the, the, the performing PCLs. 
Yeah, I mean, we're. I think you saw uh, we we had a nice uh, increase in, in risk-weighted assets. I think that's what we're we were hoping for, and that's somewhat I think indicating for. But uh, as Phil indicated, the situation, the economic situation, if it continues to improve, and vaccination accelerates, um, I think you know we'll, we'll we'll be facing the possibility of releases faster than we thought. Okay, we'll review it each quarter. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Following question is from Scott Chan from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon. If, if I go to slide 19 on uh, on wealth management, uh, the thing that jumped out to me was transactions and others on the revenue line up 35% quarter for quarter. Um, maybe just uh, if you could help me, um, or maybe if you can just elaborate on uh, on the sequential increase and if there's anything in that other that that kind of drove it. Mr. Gagnon will answer that question. Thank you um, uh, to ask a question about wealth management. The, uh, the transaction increase comes 50-50 uh, from direct brokerage as well as in BIN. So uh, there is an element to it that is related to the frenzy that everybody saw, but there's also uh, an element coming from portfolio managers at NBIN. So uh, that's why we, we like uh, the profile. We like the profile that we have, and especially at NBDB, direct brokerage, um, it's not only coming from uh, GameStop trading. It's, uh, you know, we've gained a number of accounts. Uh, uh, we're a number two according to investor economics for number of transactions, revenue growth, as well as new accounts. So it's pretty solid. Now, in terms of uh, uh, other revenues, a lot of it is FX revenues, and I would say that the only change in uh, investor behavior that we've seen is a, a big increase in uh, the number of U.S. shares that are transacted versus uh, Canadian shares, and that brings uh, FX revenue. Got it. And, and maybe just lastly, on, uh, on international with ABA, um, you know, in terms of the loan book, up 7% quarter for quarter, 36% year over year during the pandemic. You know, at, at what point do we see this loan book Kind of mature, or or is there a runway for several years where you can uh, kind of post these um, exceptional kind of growth rates on on this book? Uh, it's kind of it's Louie. I think we've we've posted these types of numbers now for five years at least. Um, I think there's still some runway. I think our market share is obviously growing, but it's still. Uh, I think we see room for. Uh, for growth there, uh, we continue to, to gain market share in both deposits and, and loans. And what's encouraging is that there's been uh, there's been no lockdown in uh, Cambodia, so uh, it's difficult to get in. You have to to be it's the Australian rules, so you have to be two weeks in an hotel if you're coming outside. So the tourist industry is extremely slow, but the other parts of the economy, manufacturing, uh, construction, and agriculture are doing extremely well. So what's encouraging is that three of the four engines are running, and then at some point tourism will come back. So, from a strict macroeconomic standpoint, these uh, you know that performance was not done uh, with the Cambodian economy at peak performance. Uh, it's really done at, at you know at three fourths uh, performance. So that's why I think there's still some runway here for at least uh, you know a couple of years. Understood. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
following question is from Mario Mendonca from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. This question might be uh, appropriate for Jean Dejeuner. Uh Jean, you referred to uh, the shift into wealth and financial markets um, as an explanation for why the margin would have been strong. And I, I too, observed that the all-bank margin was, was very strong sequentially. What, was there any change in the balance sheet, uh, the structure of the balance sheet, either duration or risk, that might account for the abrupt improvement in the, in the all-bank margin? The only big change in the balance sheet is the increase in liquidity at central banks. So this affects treasury, doesn't affect the business line. Uh, other than that, there was no other shift uh, for the business lines. But that wouldn't have contributed to an higher margin, would it? No, no. The, 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 the increase in liquidity is almost neutral. Okay. So, uh, Louis, I, I don't, you know, we're looking around the table here. No, I don't think there was anything special on balance sheet or anything else that, that occurred. It was just, as you saw, I think, good volume growth in all business lines and on both sides of the balance sheet. I think that's just it. It was nothing unusual in ELM or anything else like that. Yeah, that, that's helpful. I, I When I disaggregate the margin um, for national and I see how how well it performed relative to your peers, it sound, it look, it does look to me like the 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 business in Cambodia and Credigy, and I guess wealth as well, those are making a meaningful contribution to Nationals' better margin performance. So it, it, I wanted to just sort of square the circle and make sure I wasn't missing something on the balance sheet. Yeah. If I could just go, uh, Louis, more of a philosophical question. You've been around uh, a while. You've seen a lot of cycles, and I think you'd agree that uh, no one would have predicted that National Bank would put up over $2 a share a record quarter uh, 13 months into a pandemic or 12 months into a pandemic. So it's clear that, at least from my perspective, that, that central banks and, and governments around the world have maybe not intentionally, but they've created a very, very good environment for banks with extremely low credit losses and a great opportunity to make money in financial markets. So at some point, Central banks aren't going to be there, and central governments aren't going to be there to create this perfect environment for banks, and the punch bowl gets taken away. In your many years uh, running financial markets and running this bank, what happens in that environment, and, and how is national are – you, are you preparing for the day that the punch bowl gets taken away? Because it seems, at least from my seat, that that's what we've seen. We've seen central governments and central banks create a perfect environment for banks to make money. Uh, they've certainly uh, been very, uh, and you, you were around in 07, 08, so I, you know, on, on a comparative basis, Mario, this was even larger in terms of intervention by governments, both at the fiscal and monetary side. So, yeah, so there was massive intervention. Um, now, I think, you know, uh, it's a good question on the, on, the, on the punch bowl, but the fact is, I think before we get there, I think we need to get back to full employment. And I think it's not just GDP recovery that the G7 countries are looking at. They're looking at full recovery in terms of the job market. So I think before we get to removing the punch bowl in terms of uh, the fiscal uh, stimulus, uh, monetary and fiscal stimulus, I think we'll, we will have uh, a nice period of uh, economic rebound, which I think we will uh, benefit from. And as I said earlier, I was mentioning a scenario 
you know, maybe it was, it, it's more wishful thinking, but we have both positive financial activity and uh, economic activity taken on the same place. Now, uh, removal of uh, having a, enough scars on my body, on my face, to have gone through uh, periods where central banks have removed liquidity. Um, 94 was one, 2000 was another one, and you know a little bit in 15 or 16. Um, I think what happens in that particular uh, positioning is you need to be very good uh, at managing volatility in financial markets. And especially now, uh, if there's any kind of uh, whiff of inflation, which again, I think it's, you know, it's probably a couple of years down the road at the earliest, I would think. But once that occur, I think volatility uh, is going to be, you know, could be quite high. And I think so far, and I'm knocking on wood, and we're all looking on wood, as a team, I think we've shown that we're pretty damn good at managing volatility in financial markets. So that's why capital markets remains, I think, and act, you know, within a universal banking uh, business model, a very attractive uh, add-on because of the correlation versus the other business lines. Uh, am I making sense here, Mario? Yeah, if I could, just one final thing. When the music stopped in 2008, 2009, several banks, mostly in the U.S., were exposed pretty, pretty in stark terms. We saw the banks that made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Are there any excesses that you can see being built up in the system today that will be exposed down the road? Not now. Uh, and I think uh, the financial system, as you know, Mario, is quite different. Um, particularly the regulated part of the financial system, uh, namely the banks, are, uh, you know, a quite different beast than they were in 2006. Uh, so um, I think there are a lot of new players, a lot of new structures uh, in, in the markets, um, and uh, I, I don't see right now uh, major weaknesses within the regulatory, you know, the regula regulatory uh, part of the, of the system. For the rest, I, I did allude in my opening remarks that we are seeing pockets of irrational exuberance in the markets. Um, you know, you can you can figure out which one of those. Um, and uh, I think, given the the, the level of stimulus, uh, they're likely to be uh, to be more. And that's why I think risk management remains a strong risk management culture is not a nice to have, even in a period of strong economic recovery. It is especially important in the period of strong economic recovery because that's usually, as you know, that's where the big mistakes are being made. So that, that's why, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're trying to be balanced between our, what we're generating in terms of revenues but being fully cognizant that we have to be very, very prudent in terms of risk management. Helpful. Thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Lamar Perso from Carmack Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. I just want to circle back on uh, earnings and wealth management. It sounds like there's some transaction volume that uh, may not repeat in wealth. So the earnings power of that segment on a run rate business then closer to the, let's say, 130 million a quarter range? Because when I look back at your sub pack, it looks like there was quite stable growth to that level of earnings. Or, or should we be thinking about it as more of the uh, 160 million as uh, being a representative run rate for wealth? Well, thank you. Uh, the, um, it, it, look, it's a tough question. The, 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 in our revenue mix, this is the, the portion that is uh, the most volatile. But recently, we're, um, we're experiencing really, really strong numbers, even in February. 
Uh, March uh, last year was a record, and we're trending uh, right about those levels, if not higher these days. And um, it's coming from direct brokerage, as I said, but not only that. Uh, recently, it was between NBIN and uh, direct brokerage, and now uh, we're seeing new issues uh, coming to full-service brokerage, which is something we have not seen in a long time. So all of this to say that um, so far for the coming months, uh, you know, what you've seen in Q1 is uh, what we're seeing and what uh, the trend continues. Okay, so there's no, like, one time, like maybe a large performance fee or anything in there that's, that's like, one time in nature? Uh, absolutely not. We have uh, no performance fees uh, at all uh, uh, in in uh, in all of our revenues, so that's not a question. Uh, as I said, uh, the only thing that is a little bit different is the behavior of the investors as they trade more U.S. stocks than before. So more FX revenue could disappear but uh, it doesn't explain uh, the bulk of our results for sure. All right, thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Gabriel Deschamps from the National Bank. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Uh, question for Louis to start. You'd mentioned in your opening remarks about uh, you know once the restrictions are lifted, you want to you know get back to raising dividends and, and, and buying back stock. I assume you mean your intent to do both. And if that's the case, are we looking at 11% still as a you know minimum target level for core tier one? Uh, yeah, I think we would look to uh, you know if uh, it was confusion. I think we, we should be in a position to hopefully to do both. Priority on on uh, increasing dividend, I would say, because uh, if you do a quick math, I think you'll see that we're at the risk of being below our 40% payout minimum payout ratio in terms of dividends for. 2021, if there's no adjustments on, uh, on, uh, or you know, if we don't uh, uh, adjust dividend upwards, we'll wait for, for uh, you know, the regulators to, to give the signal. But I think that that would be one thing. And then, uh, yeah, I think 11, 11 and a half, I think is, uh, is a comfortable level uh, post pandemic. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes, but uh, uh, we'll see how things evolve. Okay. Uh, and then uh, my other question is to uh, for Laurent. Also, congrats on the new job. Uh, great quarter in financial market, but uh, you know we're staring at the down a barrel of uh, you know some really tough costs over the next three quarters. Uh, how does that you know impact, I guess, your outlook for you know pre-tax, pre-provision, profit growth? Like, uh, where do you expect financial markets to end up vis-a-vis the you know mid to high single-digit all-bank target? And then in terms of, I think you alluded to trading maybe slowing down. Is that, uh, you know, the, the offset going to be, uh, you know, that solid pipeline of uh, investment banking fees coming? Uh, thank you, uh, Gabriel. Um, so in the first quarter, what we've seen, uh, lots of capital raised from our corporate clients. Um, I mentioned before elevated volumes, healthy vol, and all asset classes. Uh, the other trend that we've seen is, is a significant rise in investor appetite for, uh, for products, so uh, that trend in, in retail and uh, institutional. So I think it, you know, it's fair to say the conditions right now for, for capital markets activities are very, very good. Um, now, looking forward, 
you know, Louis mentioned it earlier. We've made uh, investments in our franchise, and, and they are bearing fruit. Um, the, we're, we're well positioned, okay, so we're very comfortable there. Uh, at this point in time, we remain positive on our trading businesses, uh, and, and we're seeing a very strong pipeline on M&A, uh, financing activities, you know, from our clients. So I think, uh, you know, if market conditions persist, you know, and they remain favorable, um, look, we're in a really good position to uh, generate uh, positive revenue growth uh, versus uh, 2020, which was a record year. Well, maybe not a big drop-off, as, as I might think, anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Once again, please press star 1 at this time for any questions or comments. Our next question is from Darko Mielek from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi there. Thank you. I just have two questions. The first one's really simple. Um, forgetting credit card balances for a moment, I'm just curious if you can tell me, uh, do, you have, do you have more credit cards um, in circulation today than you did a year ago? I missed part of the question. Oh, the number of uh, active accounts. Yeah, the number of active accounts is, uh, I would say, stable compared to a year ago. I don't think the conditions have been, you know, favorable uh, at this point to increase the number of active accounts. What we've, what we've done is work with our customer to stimulate spend where we could in some of the, of the, you know, spending categories, but. Uh, that this is what we see right now. Okay, that, that's helpful. Thank you. So my second question is similar to Mario's question. I'm going to try it from a different angle, though, Louis, and I'll, I'll direct you to um, to slide 29 in your um, in your presentation deck. Okay, so my question revolves around um, the deposit growth and. I've been watching banks for a long time. It's very rare in one year to have a deposit book that was slightly below your loan book to go suddenly significantly higher than your loan book. And when I look at this chart, it's basically $32 billion of deposits more year over year. And when I look at the shareholders report, $27 billion of that $32 billion is no fixed maturity. So I guess the question is, if we hit a real strong stride here in the economic recovery, it's totally possible in my mind that we could have deposits run off pretty quickly, like just as fast as they run up, they could run back down. And, and don't misconstrue my question as one about interest rate risk or, you know, your liquidity coverage ratio is fine, that's stable. But what I'm really thinking about is the impact on your business in terms of, you know, the, the margin in a situation where you have asset growth with deposits running off um, and any other sort of um, difficulties that might arise from that. So can you give me an idea of, you know, how you're preparing for a potential significant rundown of deposits and what might be the impact um, if, if my sort of vision comes true? Uh, thanks, Darko. Uh, Frankly, right now, uh, I think we're more, you know, I think our biggest challenge is uh, uh, is deploying the excess deposits that we have without doing anything stupid on the balance sheet, frankly. Uh, 
we, we're not uh, we're making mistakes. We, we, we're not concerned with a runoff, even if at some point uh, the deposit base should come down. And we certainly hope so, Darko, because I think that would be a signal that the economy is finally picking up and people are starting to travel and spend and invest again. And I think we have enough, uh, given our universal banking model, I think we have enough you know, other businesses that we would pick up the revenue from, from that investment, either in, in wealth management or in capital markets or in, in commercial banking or in something else. So I think, A, I think on, in terms of funding and balance sheet, I don't expect it to be so abrupt that it's going to cause, you know, a problem in terms of funding or liquidity. And secondly, as I said, once that money, we can only hope that money gets deployed one day because that means that we'll, we're out of this, uh, you know, weird situation we found ourselves for the last 12 months. And I think it's going to be done progressively. And again, I think it will generate, you know, revenue opportunities for us right across, uh, right across the franchise. So that's, that's where we're at. Um, for the rest, Keep in mind that structurally, it's been a policy and a strategy of ours, and in fact, a big priority to uh, de- decrease our funding coming from wholesale funding and increase the funding from core funding sources, uh, core PNC clients. And so when you look at that, uh, you know, that trend over five years, it did certainly accelerate last year because of all the, you know, the unusual circumstances. But also, I think it also reflects, you know, a, a multi-year strategy to uh, reduce our dependency on wholesale funding. And I would certainly hope uh, that it, that would not be reversed, uh, you know, in a post-pandemic world. Does that answer your question, Darko? Yeah, I mean, it helps. And as I say, I wasn't worried about the risk side of it. I'm just wondering about the, you know, obviously you would have excess liquidity come down and you would be deploying some of that. But I just can't, I can't picture a an environment where your asset growth would um, accelerate as fast as your deposit growth would come off. So I'm, I'm just struggling with it a little bit. Every time I, every time I look at the balance sheets these days, it just it boggles my mind how much, especially the business and government deposits. I mean, those should be very fluid and liquid in a recovery. And uh, and I got to think you're paying next to nothing for these deposits. So, I mean, I'll think through it more, Louis. Yeah. Your your answer is exactly as I thought it would be. I, I, I guess it's just, um, uh, you know. Actually, Darko. Yep. Uh, Stefan, I just wanted to, to mention, actually, you know, on the government side, we've actually let go of uh, governmental deposits that were going up for bids and auctions that were at, um, you know, at low margins because of these excess liquidities. So that's always one, you know, one tap the area we could tap back in if need be. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, and, you know, I'll struggle with it a little more, and uh, thank you very much for the, uh, the insights. I appreciate it. Thank you. So we have no further questions, but just at this time, I would now like to turn the meeting back over to Mr. Vachon. So thank you, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you for the uh, Q2 results in three months. Thank you again. Have a good day. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time. And we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.